The day's top stories, the best bets, and Jason Page. This is the Cash In Early Edition. Happy Wednesday, Hump Day. Cash In. All your social media viewing platforms. And hey, good news. The podcast now is available everywhere. Spotify, Apple Music, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio. We're everywhere, man. Just check out the Cash In Podcast. Subscribe today. Leave a comment. Give us five stars, whatever all that fun stuff is. Sammy Arnell will be hanging out with me in a couple minutes. I gotta say, I don't typically watch um, First Take. One, because the structure of my day used to be, you know, we were doing the nightly radio show, so I was going to bed later. Um, I was getting up later, and then the first thing I do is take my dog to the park, go to Starbucks, have a drink. So that was all during first take time, so I never watch first take. Not to mention the fact that I can't stand Stephen A. Smith for the most part. Um, no, I mean, I've been honest about that. He gets on my last nerve. Um, I just think he's overexposed. And some of that's him, some of that's ESPN. But anyway, I was I, I don't so I don't typically watch first take, but now it's doing the show at noon Eastern every day, Monday through Friday. Um, I've changed my routine. My schedule is different. So now I'm up at you know six a.m., six thirty a.m., and we're off to the races by like seven. I'm up, so now I get up. I have my morning cereal. Dog and I sit on the couch. And now I actually turn on first take, which, again, I'm I, I'm not generally a fan, but I turned it on. And I'm glad I watched takes. Chris Russo was hilarious. And uh, look, I grew up with the guy, and he does a segment at the end of the show, like what's he's what he's mad about. He's mad dog Russo, that whole thing. I Like I said, I grew up with Chris Russo. So not grew up literally with him, but like grew up listening to him. So it was... Um, it was pretty funny today, I have to say. But it got me actually thinking about something, and, and, and I wasn't sure what I was going to start off the show on today. Obviously, there's all the Aaron Rodgers stuff that we talked about yesterday. And if you missed it, we had a great podcast yesterday. I, th- I thought we really broke the whole thing down in a, in, in a, in a very entertaining way. And if you're uh, following me on X at the back page, um, I did a, a pretty cool little video that basically answers all the questions regarding Aaron Rodgers and where we go from here uh, with this injury. So go and check that out. It's over on X right now at the back page if you want to go and see that. It was a fun video. It was fun to put together. So I was watching today, and they were talking about the fact that first take's going to be in Boulder on Friday on the business field, whatever that means, um, to, to interview... Deion Sanders, Coach Prime. I won't call him Coach Prime, ever. Um, so Deion's doing this interview with Shannon Sharp and Stephen A. Smith, and Chris Russo was 
breaking their stones about the fact that he wasn't invited and all that. And they went back and forth about how Chris Russo said three days ago he was all primed out and, you know, it made him want to root against him and all that stuff. So they, they had some fun back and forth. But what Stephen A. Smith revealed, and I don't know if he meant to reveal it, maybe it was a humble brag, but at the end of the show, or near the end of the show today, he revealed that when him and Shannon Sharp went to the game on Saturday and they walk out of the tunnel together and fans were cheering for them, probably more for Shannon than they were for Stephen A. But as they walked onto the field and and waved their hands around and, and that sort of thing, he said that they sat in Deion Sanders' private box at the stadium. And I'm just trying, I'm just thinking about like how far journalism has fallen. And I get that Stephen A. Smith is sort of this hybrid of journalist. He breaks stories, talks to guys, does interviews. He, he actually did a really good interview with Roger Goodell today, which I want to talk about a little bit because it relates to one of the stories we're going to discuss. But he he talked about the fact, he, he briefly mentioned that they sat in Dion's box. And I'm sitting here thinking to myself, well, what kind of fluff piece are we going to get on Friday, basically? I mean, you cannot, this is why throughout my entire career, I made it a point to not get close to athletes. There's one coach, one coach in the history of my career, I got close to one coach, and it was uh, a coach at Quinnipiac University, which is small division one basketball and hockey school, Tom Moore, former UConn assistant. He and I became, uh, he and I became, he and I became buddies. Oh, hold on. Sam, Sam's like freaking out right now. What, what, what did, what? We cannot call the defending men's national hockey champions a small school. It is Quinnipiac a small school. University it's a tiny school. on the map. They're the national champions. <laughs> Everyone knows about them. Oh my God. Quinnipiac's a great story. I love their men's I'm, hockey team I, I get last it. year. Yeah. They're a big school. They're not a big school. They're a tiny school. That's what made their national championship all the more amazing. It's a tiny school. It's, the championship made them a big school. They're made now. Okay. They're made. They're made now, Jason. I got okay. They're I big got, time. I got, I got it. Okay. We'll come back to Sam. <laughs> so I, I only ever got close to Tom Moore, but it never stopped me from asking him hard questions, and he knew that. But still, there's always an awkwardness that comes with asking somebody tough questions if you're close to them. And Stephen A is close to a lot of people because sometimes journalists and sports media people, for them, it's as much about getting close to, rubbing elbows with. Actually, we're not on radio or TV right now, so I'll say the, I'll say the term. It's called star fucking is essentially what it's called. Uh, I'll put the explicit warning on this podcast. It's called star fucking is what it is. And people at various outlets have done it for years. And when you do that, I can't take you seriously when you go to Boulder and say you're going to go do first take from from Boulder because all I know you're going to do is provide verbal fellatio for Deion Sanders for an hour or two hours or however long it's going to be. That's all it is. It's like what Pat McAfee does with Aaron Rodgers. Every I know I'm not going to get anything serious. 
I know I'm not going to get any hard hitting questions from Pat McAfee to Aaron Rodgers. It's going to be an it's going to be 40 minutes of verbal fellatio. That's what you're going to get. So I just think it's kind of laughable at how dumbed down these things become because when you got a buddy interviewing a buddy, it's not a it's not an interview, it's fluff. It's gentle, it's soft. It's a soft landing spot. So I just think it's kind of funny that like in any normal journalistic outfit, you would not be allowed if you were Stephen A. Smith to go sit in Deion Sanders box and then be provided the opportunity to spend an hour or two hours interviewing him. There's there's all sorts of conflicts of interest in this. Now, maybe sports just it doesn't matter anymore. It just doesn't matter. That you could just go and it, you just do whatever you want. And ESPN's got, you know, certain rules for Stephen A. Smith that maybe doesn't apply to Mike Greenberg or somebody like that. I don't know. But I just thought it was funny. One last point on the Dion thing. And I know I'm going to screw up this line from one of the Batman movies. You're either the hero or you live long enough to be the villain, that sort of thing. What do we do in America? What is the cycle of fame in America. And Dion's probably actually actually already had this. He might get two cracks at this. There's a cycle to this. We build people up. We celebrate them. And then we love tearing them down. And Dion went through it even, even in his playing career. It was build him up. He was Dion. He was prime time. Two sports star. Great. Great career. And then on the backside, we bring them down. Right now, Dion's going through the second cycle. Build them up. Jackson State does the great things there. Goes to Colorado. We're building them up. He's going to have some run of success, hopefully, for, for that program. I could care less about Dion, but I hope the program has some success. We build them up. And then inevitably, something will happen where we tear them down. Jim Harbaugh, Stanford, tons of success. Go to the NFL, the 49ers, almost wins a Super Bowl, run of success there. Go to Michigan, eh. Now we've got NCAA violations. Is he going to leave? Is he going to go back to the NFL? We start tearing him down. It's, it is the never-ending cycle in sports. And it's not even sports. It's entertainment. It's politics. It's all these different things. And it will inevitably happen with Deion Sanders. We're in, the, we're in the fun part right now. And Deion's been through it, so hopefully he's smart enough to sort of recognize when it's coming. But make no mistake about it. At some point in time, this Deion thing will go south. And all the people that are providing that verbal fellatio are going to be nowhere to be found. When the times get tough, you can count on it. Without any further ado, let's say hello to our friend Sammy Arnell, who is sitting in a very colorfully lit studio today. But what is it with the with the like seventies porn star open polo shirt, like furry chest thing you have going on? I don't know why this drives me so crazy. It's the button spacing on this cheap Chinese shirt that I got on the internet. Wow. Come on, man. Jeez. 
blame the Chinese for your bad fashion it's like, choices. It's like, no, it's it's fast fashion. It's like Shein or whatever. All that, all those fast fashion. I gotta fix brands. this That's lighting. The quality I look, that this is at. I look like the Phantom of the Opera in this lighting. I gotta fix this. Hold on. Uh, this is driving me nuts today. I cannot get the lighting right in here. Uh, so anyway, what'd you think of what I had to say about Dion? Ah, I don't know. Listen, I, I understand. I definitely understand the verbal fellatio part of, of sports, right? I think it's prevalent in lots of corners of it. I see, we see it across the board all over the place. Do they teach that in journalism school? You went to school for this stuff. No, no, no. What do no, they no. teach they about teach that? The opposite. They teach the opposite, right? It's you're there to do your job and they're there to do their job. Right. You know, you don't see. But but at the same time, there's in the regular world, in the in the real world, as you know, normal people, not like you and I call it. Um, there's interaction between people doing their jobs. Right. Like the mailman walks into the dentist office to deliver the <laughs> dentist's office daily mail. He has a three minute conversation with the receptionist at the dentist office. Right. It's it's very normal. So I think that there's there is a line and I think Stephen A tiptoes that line frequently. But at the same time that it, in his in his circumstance, especially, um, it's a guy who's been in, around the league, covering the league for more than you know three decades. And the thing is, you have people in this position, journalists in these positions, and other ones that come to mind. You know, Scott Van Pelt, Dan Patrick, uh, guys like that who have been around since athletes of now were young watching athletes of old and these guys were covering them too. So as much as it may seem like it's the journalist worshiping the athlete or the coach or whatever it may be, I think there's, uh, I, I think that it goes both ways almost. I think that just as much as the journalist may find this athlete or this coach a celebrity, the coach or athlete finds the journalist just as much a celebrity. I think SVP does a really good job balancing it. I think I think Van Pelt, who's down your way actually, um, yeah. I think he does a terrific job balancing the role of being personable with guests versus, again, the crude term I used before, star fucking. I think he does a really good job because I've seen him do interviews and he'll still ask the tough questions. You know, I don't know about DP so much anymore. Um, but yeah, but I, I will. And, and again, Stephen A. Smith isn't buddy, buddy with Roger Goodell. And he asked him the hard questions today. He asked him about Jerry Jones. He asked him about Terry Pagula. He talked about the Jim Trotter stuff. I thought he threw him a bit of a lifeline when he started talking about, well, you don't promote enough about the fact that you have, you know, this many minority coaches or you have this many minority employees in the league and, you know, you don't do a good enough job explaining that to people. But then at the same time, he, he made sure to try and point out the fact that the number of blackhead coaches in the league is down from its peak, which I think was nine at one point or something like that. I don't know. But he I thought he I thought he did a good job all in all today with the with the Goodell interview. If people get a chance and want to go check it out, uh, I'm sure ESPN will have it up on one of its seven thousand platforms at some point um during the day. But 
Mark my words. At some point, this Dion thing will go the other way. And I want to see how many of these people that are all sniffing his butt right now. I want to see how many of those people are are the same ones crushing them when uh, when this thing goes south. Which at some point it will, because it just always does. These things go in cycles. Like I said, nothing nothing lasts forever. You, know, you could even even Bill Belichick. He hung around long enough. He could have walked away when Tom Brady walked away. He could have walked away when Tom Brady left. Now, I know he wants to break Don Shula's record and be the winningest head coach in the history of the NFL, which is the only reason for him to stay around at this point because he's not winning any more Super Bowls, not with not with the way things are comprised and the amount of time it's going to take to rebuild it, to get it to that point. There will be no more Super Bowls for Bill Belichick. So the only reason he's hanging around now is the accolades, the the records, that sort of thing. Why are you shaking your head like that? You don't think you you're going to make an argument for the Patriots today? I'm not, but Bill Belichick is the worst supervillain of my lifetime. <laughs> um, he has ruined he ruined football for me for a decade and a half. And I will put nothing past that man. He could have a losing. He could tank the Patriots this year. They could get Caleb Williams and be right back in the Super Bowl next year. You never know. Like, seriously, you never know with that guy. So until man. the wooden stake is through his heart, man, I'm not I'm not letting anything. Everything is a possibility until he is fully retired. I'll tell you my best Bill Belichick story real quick. I was I was in Hartford at uh, ESPN Radio Hartford, which is iHeart owned did afternoon drive there for three years and every year we would do our show from the travelers championship so we would do five days actually seven days monday through sunday from the grounds of the travelers championship and one of those days was celebrity pro-am day and bill belichick would always come so it was the first or second year that we're there belichick's there and I'm like, I'm going to get my Bill Belichick interview today. I'm one of the only, like, you know, live radio stations here. Our booth is right overlooking the driving range. Perfect. We get him to walk up. Perfect. I walk over to the range. I'm watching him hit balls. I'm waiting. I'm looking at my watch. Come on. Get done. I want to want to get this pre-tape done. He comes walking off the range. I walk up to him. Hey, Bill, Jason Page, host Afternoon Drive on ESPN Radio here in Hartford. We got a lot of Patriot fans sure they would love to hear from you uh could i get you to sit down with us for 10 minutes and he literally did this he looked at me he goes uh no and just kept walking that was it it was just uh no and he just kept going in typical bill belichick fashion did you see um this is one of the things i love about bill belichick uh, probably the only thing i like about bill belichick uh did you see his answer on long snappers the other day <laughs> no if you haven't seen it i encourage you and all the viewers to go on youtube and literally just type in bill belichick long snapper he does this once a year where he'll take a stupid question from a reporter like a uh one that wouldn't require a long answer normally and he'll give a 10-minute long answer with detailed history of the NFL and all that kind of thing. And that's exactly what he did with this. He literally gave a 10-minute long answer about why long snappers deserve roster spots uh, and the history of long snapping and how kicking has evolved. And it, it's really – it's very interesting. Uh, and, and, you know, as much as I hate the guy, he really shows his, his prowess uh, and his ability to – just be a sponge when it comes to all things football. Like the man knows everything about every facet of the game and he has for decades and it's on display there. So as much as I hate the guy, uh, it was an awesome answer to a question. And uh, you know, I've watched it probably three times now. <laughs> I actually see it here. 
And it really is a 10-minute answer. He did it's a 10, 10 minutes minute long. He did a 10-minute speech on it. Maybe maybe today, you know what I'll do? Maybe today to end the show, we'll put it at the end of the podcast. Maybe we'll put it on there so people could actually hear it in case they don't want to go uh, look for it online. That's that's some funny stuff. Um, but, yeah, you know, Belichick is, is that's sort of one of those guys. And, I again, I think at this point in his career, he's hanging around for – to, to break Don Shula's record. And when you look at the rest of the AFC, again, I know the Caleb Williams thing, and if, they, if they're if they really bad, I don't think they're going to be that team anyway. Um, but if they are, would be uh, would be kind of interest, interesting. By the way, um, we didn't talk yesterday, and we didn't talk about most of the rest of the week in the NFL. We, we kind of just focused on them. You want to talk about the shocker of the week. I went 2-2 two and two in Page versus the Prince. You went 3-1. and one. Uh, the shock of shocks to me. Oh God! Don't don't give me the fake gun show. Um, the shock of shocks. You know, for all the you know the Giants getting their doors blown off. What happened on Thursday night with with the Chiefs um, and the Lions and, and all that stuff. What happened in Seattle <laughs> with the Rams and the and the Seahawks? That was the shock of shocks for me. Um, I, I thought Seattle was one of the best picks of the week. Um, I also thought that the Minnesota game was was one of the better picks of the week, and we saw how those wound up. Uh, frankly, those two games might be the the two, and I know not, not just because they're the two losses I had, and I was completely wrong about them. I was shocked at both of those games. So I will say that one of the reasons I didn't touch that Rams-Seahawks game, is because uh, there was all this rumbling in the fantasy space last week. And, you know, I'm sure there are listeners out there that know that if you pay enough attention to fantasy, there's a lot of correlation in gambling. Mm -hmm. Um, And there was so much talk in the fantasy space last week about how with Cooper Cup being out, Matthew Stafford was going to have to throw it to to Puka Nakua and Tusu Atwell. And what did they both do? They both went off in that game. Cam Akers was serviceable. He was a serviceable running back until Sean McVay seemed to, again, decide that he hates him now in, like, the middle of the third (laughs) quarter, which was so weird. But um, Cam Akers looked really good for the first two and a half quarters, at least. Uh, And Puka Nakua and Tutu Atwell look like they could actually be really serviceable wide receivers in this league that the Rams have come across. And I kind of had a feeling that, you know, if Matt Stafford can pull something out of the bag and, and turn around after, after dealing with all the injuries last season and, uh, and really come out and start, start hot this season. I, I thought there was a chance that the Rams could come around and pull this out. And with regard to the Buccaneers, I think people, including both of us, we're way too low on Baker Mayfield coming into the season. I think we should have thought of Baker Mayfield with the Rams towards the end of last season rather than how he started last season, right? And when he was with the Rams last season, he looked like, you know, at least a quarterback that could win you six to seven games in this league. Maybe he's better than that even, and I think that was on full display. The Vikings are frauds. We knew they were frauds. They proved they were frauds. Um, I've been saying they were frauds since they beat the Bills last season, Uh, and I don't think the Seahawks are frauds. I I do think we truly just undersold the Rams. I'll tell you something about Baker Mayfield too. He's he's getting a reputation now to be one of those guys – that teammates are going to want to run through a wall for. 
Cause yeah. he play he plays like he plays like a dog, man. That guy will mm-hmm. put his body at risk. And look, at some point during the air, he might get banged up because of it. But he's playing like a guy who knows this could potentially be his last chance. He's going to put it all out there. I hope he stays healthy. Because I think it's kind of a cool story. Because, you know, we thought Tampa Bay could be prolifically bad this year. I mean, horrific in every sense of the word. They go on the road and win in week one against Minnesota. And, and remember, they're in a bad division. All of a sudden, if you're in Tampa Bay, you're like, hey, we might have we might have a shot to be halfway decent this year uh, with this Baker Mayfield guy. So, you, you know, just saying, you never... You never say never. All right. Um, Sammy Arnell is the Prince of Picks. He is our guy, and he's got some betting advice for you, so listen up. And now the cash-in presents, it's Cash Cow, the Prince of Picks, Sam Yarnell. Sam, the floor is yours. I want to talk about market volatility, Jason, because after week one. My portfolio is getting crushed. Oh, you mean you mean market, different market. Okay, sorry. The market's volatile right now in in the NFL, um, but I don't think it's volatile in the way people expected it to be. Now, we saw some horrible showings in Week One from your Giants, from my Bills, uh, and you would think that that would change win totals a lot. We talked yesterday about the Aaron Rodgers injury, right? That was going to take the Jets. They were nine and a half win. They had a nine and a half win total before the season. We thought that was going to go down to like six and a half, maybe seven and a half. It only dropped a game. It's only at eight and a half. If you really think that uh, Zach Wilson is that bad, buy in on that under now because the sports books clearly disagree with you. There are a couple of intricacies I want to go through with win totals before we get into the volatility of the MVP race. But there are only two teams whose win totals changed by two games this week uh, after week one. That would be the Arizona Cardinals, and who went from uh, their over wins being five and a half to now it's three and a half. And I really think that was more them just catching up with the Sharps who really bet it down at the end or leading up to kickoff of week one. And the other one is the New York Giants. Their win total went from eight and a half down to six and a half. So it seems like the books may have lost a little faith in Brian Dayball as a head coach. The other two game swing though is an interesting one. And one that I kind of regret not getting on before the season because you and I talked about it during our AFC North preview. The Baltimore Ravens moved from being moved from an eight and a half win total to a 10 and a half win total. And that was a win total at nine that I was really confident in the Baltimore Ravens getting to before the season started. And now at 11, I'm not so sure. They are a very good team and they're led by one of the best quarterbacks in Lamar Jackson, who's 15 to one to win MVP right now. We'll get into that again in just a second. Just a quick note on win totals before we get to the MVPs. One thing I thought was very interesting, the Buffalo Bills win total has not changed. It was 10 and a half coming in. It's still 10 and a half, but they lost a game they were favored in. That's what doesn't make sense to me. What is the sports book hedging on? And I'd, I'd love to get, you know, uh, a guest on that, that we could talk to who's been in a risk room and really understands why, uh, why that happened. If there's some sort of, you know, safety net that the book had had, had accounted for, right? The Bills are going to lose one or two games that they're favored in all year. 
and and that's accounted for in their win total, and that's why it didn't change. I've got somebody who but, might who we might be able to get in that regard. Remind remind me, and I'll I'll definitely I'll definitely tell yeah, you. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I, I, yeah, there there are a few people who come to mind. So so yeah, it, it, very interesting how the Bills lost a game they were favored in, and their win total did not change because obviously the book expected them to win that game coming in. So why doesn't the, why doesn't the win cho- win total change to reflect that? Would be an interesting question, and that was definitely where my mind went first when I looked at these win totals uh, this morning. What's I think up? I think I have an answer on that though too. I think I think some of this is learning from past mistakes, and and you know not pushing the pan. It's a long, it's a seventeen game season, and one game does not a season make. If they go and drastically shift the number, a ton of money comes in. They can get burned. So I, to me, I just think there's, I think there's a more of a wait and see, take a pause sort of approach, you know, looking at, at past, um, you know, sort of precedent just with regards to the Bills. Are the Bills because of that one bad game? Are they all of a sudden, you know, are you going to take that one bad game and juxtapose it against what they've been over the last, you know, two or three seasons and then try to take that? I, I just think it's, I think it's just more of a cautious approach. I, th- I yeah. think that's what, I, and I, I, I think that's what a lot of those risk room people will tell you. But, but I would be interested to get one on to to get an answer on that. I, I just think it's more interesting because you have these other teams, the Bengals and the Chiefs, right? And that's what we would consider the creme de la creme of the AFC is the Bengals, Chiefs, and Bills. Uh, all three of those teams lost, but two of those teams had their win totals drop by a game. The other one didn't. All three of those teams were favored in their games, and all three of them lost. So it, it, it's just interesting for me why two of them moved, the other one didn't. Because I understand your logic, but why wouldn't the book have that same logic with the other two teams? Is it the volatility of, of the Bills historically? Is it, you know, what is it? I wonder what Cleveland. I wonder what happened to Cleveland's win total after that their game. Their win total wow, they're went up to from- ten and a half. It what were they preseason? From nine and a half so they were to nine. Ten and a half. Yeah, see, and I'd go under on that. And see, that's that's logical because they were the dog in the game. They won the game. The book was not expecting them to win coming in, so their win total goes up by I one. Was, but okay, right, right. Yes, the page was all over it. Yes, the page was ahead of the book. Yes, that's a, that's a cool little slogan I like, there. I like the that. page was ahead of the I book. Like yeah, there like you that. go. Um, but but it makes sense because Cleveland, the book didn't think Cleveland was going to win. They did. Now their win total has moved up one because they weren't expected to win that game coming into the season, right? See, but the to Bills me, were- but see, see that's see, and that's what goes against my theory about Buffalo and the book saying, "Well, we're not going to touch that number. We're gonna we're gonna let this sort of marinate a little bit and and kind of figure out you know where the chips fall and where the cards settle on this." But with Cleveland. Anybody who watched that game, they didn't play great. Deshaun Watson didn't play well in that game. It was as much about what Cincinnati didn't do as it was about what Cleveland did. So to adjust their number up based on that is begging for the under money to come in on that 10.5 at you know minus 122. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. It goes, it goes, it's it's antithetical to what I was saying about Buffalo with them taking a wait and see approach. I don't know why you'd touch any number after week one, quite honestly. Like I said, Chicago won last week and week one, last year and week one against the 49ers. 
How did that turn out? I'm sure they finished under whatever their number was supposed to be. So, I don't know. I just see I see some some contradictions in terms of how Vegas is handling these win totals. And I think it's very interesting, and I think that it can be taken advantage of, right? I don't think the Cleveland Browns are an 11-win team. I think that's probably a pretty safe under to bet. I think that probably the ceiling for that team is 10 and 7, right? Would you say that they could be an 11 and 6 team in Cleveland with Deshaun Watson and Nick Chubb's a dog. He but is. Like, but like Eli Moore, that's who we're throwing to. Come on. Don't Come on. forget David Njoku, man. That's uh, my guy. David Njoku's not even a top five tight end in the league. He has games, though. He has moments. He has games. He has games, but he's not an 11 win tight end. Right? Looking Who's at their an schedule here. Tight end? Well, I mean, look, Who's let's, an eleven win tight end. Let's let's Travis Kelsey. <clears throat> they're they're, you know, when a tight end has to be a number one or a number two receiving. Option, I get what you're saying. David and Joku doesn't cut it to be an eleven win team. I'm looking at their um, I'm looking at their schedule. I mean, they got the Steelers next. That's winnable. In Pittsburgh. Is it? My God, did like, you see the Steelers last they week? They looked really bad. They, they looked, looked terrible. Did their, what happened to their win total? It didn't move. That, that's crazy. I know they played it's the not. Niners, but I mean, they lost at home. They got, we talk about embarrassing week one performances and we talk about the Giants. My God, I can't believe we forgot about the Steelers. It's the 49ers. What were we expecting? I'm the expecting you to be competitive. Be competitive. Team in the be NFC. competitive. Be competitive. Talent-wise, they are the best team in the NFC. Be competitive. You're at home. I, Week one. Be competitive. Play above you know, your head. Pickett. You can't be that competitive with Kenny Pickett against that team. It's just the truth. So Browns, Browns in Cleveland. Uh, Browns in Pittsburgh this week. That's winnable. That's Monday night, by the way. Right. Home for the Titans, they could be three. They could be three and zero oh going into Week Four against the Ravens in Cleveland. I don't know if there's a line out on that Titans on that Titans Browns game, but I want the under and I want it now. Um, there, All they're gonna do in that there game is a is line. Run the ball. There is a what line is on it? that game. It's forty one. Forty one. I was gonna say it's got to be high thirties. Yep. Give me the under. Give me the under forty one today. Today, I need some CLV on that. I know they're going to bet that down. 41. That's not even the lowest total that week. Patriots-Jets is 38. (laughs) Yeah, and I'd probably go under that, honestly. I could see that game being 21-14. I could see that game being 13-10. I mean, Cleveland could be legitimate. Cleveland could be a legit 3-0 team going into week four against the Ravens. And that game's in Cleveland. All right. Now then the I schedule. Then the schedule. schedule. Get, then the schedule gets a little more interesting. Then they're home for Let's the night. Home for the Niners. Loss. At then the Colts. At the Colts. That's winnable. Close. That's a win. Will be close again. You're. I, they, I'm telling you, man. At the Colts, that will be close. At Seattle, that's a loss. Versus Arizona, that's a win. <laughs> at Baltimore, a that's loss. a loss. Versus. Uh, at Seattle, yes, you think they're gonna go. You think they're gonna go across the country and win against the twelfth man? Nah, you might be putting a little too nah. much faith in Seattle based on what we saw in Week One. Plus, Seattle will have uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba fully healthy by then. It'll let's be say, good. let's say this. Let's say they split the Ravens and Niners. 
I'll give them a split with the Ravens and Niners. Both home games, oh, no. I'll give them a split. They're going to win one of those two games. They're, they lost to the in Baltimore. They got screwed oh, oh. by the officials last year in a loss to the Ravens. They could beat the Ravens, and You're that was with Jacoby Brissett. Ravens game. Yes, yes, yes. So, so uh, let's give them a split there, right? We'll give them a split there. We'll say they're four and one. We'll say they're four and one going into Week Six at Indy. Let's say they split Colts and Seahawks. It's five and two. Home for the Cardinals, that's six and two. When? At the Ravens, lost six and six three. Six and three. Home for the Steelers, seven and three. At Denver. They're going to split with the Steelers. They always split with the Steelers. At, De- they- at Denver. Seven and four. We'll say we'll give the we'll give the Broncos a win there. That's At the right. Rams, seven and five. Home for the Jags. Whoa, 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 whoa. Eight and four. Eight and four. They're gonna beat the Rams. They'll beat the Rams. I'm trying to be just realistic. It's hard to you just said traveling across country, and now you're like, ah, right, we can go to the Rams though, and we'll it's, win five. Okay, but the same Rams team that just beat Seattle. You make no sense. Traveling across the country to play outside on October 29th in Seattle is a lot different than traveling across the country to play inside in L.A. on December 3rd. I'm still going seven and four. Uh, You're going eight and four. I'll go seven and five. We're both going to get to... We're both going to get to eight and six by the end of that Houston game, so it doesn't matter. Home for the Jets, and then home for the uh, at the Bengals. It's going to be it's going to be close. It's going to be close. Ten and a half is a bit. I'd go under if you if you if you made me pick it. I'd, I'd go nuke under the under. I don't know if I'd, I'd nuke, nuke it. it. Eh, no, I don't think I'd nuke it. I don't think I'd nuke it. I'm not sold on Baltimore yet. I watched Lamar okay. Jackson. And Lamar Jackson was careless with the football this week. I was not impressed. The loss of J.K. Dobbins is going to hurt that team. Then Mar- maybe you should get on the Baltimore under at ten and a half. I would. I would definitely. I would definitely consider getting on the Baltimore uh, uh, under Baltimore. Baltimore Ravens schedule. I would definitely consider getting on Baltimore on the. Uh, at under ten and a half, I'm just not. I'm not a believer. Ten and a half across the board for the Ravens too. Every just about every book has them at ten and a half. In Cincy this week, they're losing that game. Bengals are going to come out firing on that game. Beat the Ray. They'll beat the Colts. They're two and one. That'll make them two and one. In Cleveland, I got a loss there. Two and two. In Pittsburgh. Mm. I'll reluctantly give them a win just because I don't have a lot of faith in Kenny Pickett. Three and two, but that's a toss-up game. In Tennessee, it's a toss-up game. They're going to split that that Steelers-Titans back-to-back road games. So that makes them three and three. Home for the Lions. <laughs> it's not an easy game. But I'll give them away. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. I'm I'm trying. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt on these four and three. 
at the Cardinals five and three. Home for the Seahawks. I'll I'll say six and three. I'll say they could beat the Seahawks. Home for the Browns, seven and three. Ugh. Home for the Bengals. If you assume they split with the Bengals. And that's uh, that's eight and three. At the Chargers, I'll give them a loss. Eight and four. Home for the Rams, nine and four at the Jags. Even if I'm even if I'm mean and say they lose that game, nine and five at the Niners, nine and six. Home for the Dolphins. Lost to them last year. That was a crazy game. Um, but remember that will be post to a retirement. You're such a jerk. <laughs> even if we give them a win there, that's ten. And then home for the Steelers. So, I mean, that's, and I was pretty, I think I was pretty generous with that. And, you know, they're around 10. So I think that number's fair. But I don't know if I hammer the under because the middle of that schedule has some softness to it. This is a little squishy, a little charmony, you know? Well, got a little bit maybe, of that. Maybe if I can't sell you on a, uh, if I can't tell you on a win total over or under, we can talk MVPs because there's been a ton yeah. of movement in the MVP market, Jason. Uh, Tua Tagovailoa going from 12 to 1 to 7 to 1 after one good game. Are we one kidding? great game. Let's be, let's, against, let's be fair. Against a Brandon Staley defense. They're going to do that to a lot. All right. I, I, I mean... They're going to do that to a lot of teams this year. You really, I, I don't, I can't get over how much you're underselling. In their division. I can't believe how much you're underselling. Yeah, I think they could do it against New England. I think you're underselling how good this offense is. And you think I'm overselling it. So there you go. I think we're forgetting that they're the Miami Dolphins. They haven't had a prolific offense since. Okay, you got to get out of that mindset, though. You got to get out of my, out of that mindset, though. If you watched them last year, you knew the potential for this was there. I was in that mindset for the New York Jets, and it paid off. Well, so teams are gonna team, Jason. Dolphins gonna dolphin. Jets gonna jet. It, Bills are gonna bill. Like it just always happens. These history continues to repeat itself, yeah. and that's all that's gonna happen with this. And what has happened for the last? Well, it's really happened for the last two years, but last 10 years, you can go all the way back to the Matt Moore days in South Florida. These Dolphins fans get way too excited about their Dolphins teams. They show out in week one and then suck for the rest of the season. Yeah. It's nothing new. I think they it's were new. They an easy game in week one against the Chargers. That was the They easiest. went on the road and won in week one. What do you want against from the them? Against the Los Angeles Chargers. We're pretending like they just beat the Bengals or the oh. Chiefs. But they beat a playoff like, team. A team that barely made, team the, that made the playoffs. They're a playoff team. Just as quickly as they made it, were knocked out by a real football team. Made a, they, they played made against the a college defense, right? And they still barely won. They still barely won against a guy who's barely a top 10 quarterback in the league. That offense is going to travel well, man. I'm telling you. 
No matter sure. who they play. No matter who they play. It might for the next three weeks until Tua retires. He's like, t- will you stop? He's not going to retire. There are so many things wrong with this team. All the way up to, like, there are so many things wrong with They're this gonna team. They're going to win the division. top to bottom. They're going to win the division. to the football. Going to win the division. And their head coach is, unfortunately, one of the coolest guys in the NFL. I don't care so much about that. I know, because you don't like him, and that's yeah. why I like him. Yeah. He, he doesn't. He doesn't do much for me. Mike McDaniel, cool guy. So you think Buffalo? Not you. Th- so you think Buffalo is still going to win that division? Uh, yes. Oh no! Oh no! You hesitated. You hesitated. No 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 no. There, it, it's conditional, right? Like those think, watching. Think, by the way, those watching could see that trepidation in the eyes of Sam Yarnell. Those listening, that pregnant pause you heard, that was also trepidation. Just so you know. I was going to put a conditional on it about oh! if Ken Dorsey is really fired, but I don't I believe in Ken Dorsey enough. Josh Allen mm. will strap his head on right. The Bills yeah. will win the division by week fifteen. The Bills will have three weeks of knowing their division champions. The Dolphins are gonna 17, crash and burn. Seventeen times four. Let's see here, 17 times 4 would be... Josh McDaniel... Oh, by the way, Josh Allen's on a pace for 68 turnovers this year. I just want to make that known. 68! Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tough to win football games that way. He's 12-1 to 1 to win MVP right now. That's yeah. up from go burn your Yeah, go burn your money on that, too. Buying all the way into Never. that right now. No way. Buying all You're the way into crazy. it right now. Just hand me your money, I'll kick you in the nuts, and we'll call it a day. Jason, it's like in the weeks that I've been on the show, it's like I haven't taught you one thing. Dude, these awards, betting these awards is about writing the best story. What is the best story? It's not not Buffalo. It's not the dude who almost retired because his brain basically failed him and everything that's wrong with football comes back and wins most valuable player. Yes, that is the story. You know how bad that is for the league? Oh, my God. That is a horrible image for the league. They'd never let that happen. What would they let happen? The guy who turns the ball over four times to the best defense in the NFL (laughs) week one comes back, has four turnovers the rest of the season, and leads his team all the way to an MVP. That's the story I'm writing. That's the story I'm buying in on. Not the... the, uh, NFL's version of concussion the movie because that's that's what Tua winning the MVP story. is. Be a great story. Not for the NFL. Yes, it would. It would show. No, it it would absolutely. Dolphins Patriots, by the way, week two. We'll get to that on Friday in Pages. Uh Page versus the Prince. I almost said Pages picks. Uh in Page versus the Prince. I don't know what the early you got an early line on that? I Let's can see. find one. No, I've got one. There it is. Uh, it is. Is that a Sunday night game? Yeah, that's Sunday night. Uh, that is two. Oh, my God. I would be all over Miami minus two. Oh, my God. That's. I'll tell you right now. That's already one of my picks. It's done. Done. <clears throat> done. 
can't you just look at that line and doesn't it just scream it screams crap, juicy like crap juicy to you? it screams yeah mm. yep and can i go get some orange juice and put it on the screen and go juicy you are exactly you are exactly the person the books look for uh-huh just run into the trap and then yeah. they go <laughs> And then the Patriots win the game outright. It goes under because you're like, oh, the Dolphins offense is great. Let's go Dolphins minus two in the over. I don't know. Because going to throw for 300 see, yards in every game. I'm not going to touch the I'm not going to touch the total. But Miami's going to win Patri- that game. They're a better Patriots team. Patriots under book it. Wow. It's already going against me on that. I need to have a, might need to have a little personal side wager on that, I think. I guess my I guess my my big beef this year my my big beefs this year are going to be with the Dolphins and the Cowboys. Those are going to be my two teams that I beef with the most this year because they're so. You got an agenda. Sold. You got an agenda. I love the Cowboys. This. How do you not love the Cowboys this week? Do you I, really. I actually, I, I will lay the nine and a half with the Cowboys. I don't know if, if I'd lay. I don't know digits. if I'd lay nine and a half. They're going to win the game. That's going and that that totals thirty nine. Wow, there's some really skimpy totals this week. Dallas is thirty nine and a half. Denver's thirty eight and a half. Denver, Washington, thirty eight and a half. Arizona and the Giants is thirty nine and a half. I think I'd go. You want a lock of the week? You want a lock of the week? Get it in right now while you can. Mm. Cowboys team total under twenty four and a half. That's easy. There's no way the Cowboys score more than 24 points against the Jets defense. Because what are the Jets going to do in this game now that they have Zach Wilson starting at least for this week? They're going to run the air out of the football. And the I, clock can, is going to tick away <clears throat> so quickly in that game. Can I just say this, too? It sounds to me, from everything I'm hearing, and I know they're they're looking at the veteran quarterback market, but they're not looking at the veteran quarterback market for a starter. They're looking for a veteran quarterback to back up Zach Wilson. And if that's the case, the Jets have just thrown away their season, which is just a damn shame. You know, look, this stuff happens to NFL teams all the time. Injuries happen. Um, you know, J.K. Dobbins going down week one for, for Baltimore. We obviously know what's happened with Aaron Rodgers. But to me... It is unspeakably bad if the Jets have a value. We've already seen their evaluation of Zach Wilson was wrong the first time around. If their evaluation the second time around is, hey, we're going to give this another shot. We're going to run it back with Zach Wilson this year. Knowing what happened last year, how bad that that he's just made this quantum leap from last year to this year just because he was in a quarterback room for a few minutes with Aaron Rodgers, that is unspeakably bad by management. If with a team that's ready to win now, a roster that you really altered in the in the image and likeness of Aaron Rodgers, to just basically leave that to Zach Wilson is unspeakably bad by the New York Jets if that's what they're doing. Because it sounds to me like they're just going to go get a veteran backup and just and just put him out there. It's crazy. My biggest, well, my biggest problem with it is from a from a football standpoint like right not even from a from a this is you know beneficial for the league and the team from a football standpoint those guys are such different archetypes in terms of quarterback like go out and sign a Matt Ryan who is much more much you know more similar to what Aaron Rodgers is in the pocket than 
Zach Wilson. Like Zach Wilson is a mobile guy who's out there to make athletic throws and you know use his athleticism to win games and move his team down the field. Aaron Rodgers is a meticulous, you know, thrower of the football who can read defenses like no other and can think through progressions at a Hall of Fame level. That's what Matt Ryan is. That's not what Zach Wilson is. Mm. That's what, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick even is. That's what, you know, I don't understand this this notion that, and it's kind of what you're talking about, but but I don't understand the notion that athleticism is going to somehow carry this team, that this offense specifically, that was built to be a, a meticulous threading the needle offense with a with a great play caller who understands a great pocket passer. Um, according to Josina Anderson, who was a guest this morning on CBS Sports uh, HQ, I believe, uh, she's reporting that the Jets are looking to, quote, narrow their options. They have ruled out 46-year-old Tom Brady. They have ruled out Colin Kaepernick. Interesting. Um and the Jets' goals to add a QB who knows Wilson is, quote, the guy. <laughs> and has familiarity with the staff or the system. Yeah, I would just like to say that I was the one who said that Robert Salah needed to be on the hot seat. Mm. Robert Salah should be on the hot seat because of this decision alone. Salah, by the way. That's Salah. Yeah. I know, I know. Okay. Right. What are you trying to turn him into? Say no, it. there was a he. He was on the first episode of Hard Knocks. That's how he continued to say it. Oh, did he? When he was talking about, yeah, it was okay. uh, Joe Flacco and Chad Henney. They're talking about because they have a history with Nathaniel Hackett. Henney's retired. Flacco is not Henny? technically retired yet. Flacco, um, I can see. Yeah, that's that's about it right now. Chad Henney? Chad Henney? Like... Who I just saw in a Subway commercial with Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, Super Bowl champion Chad Henney, mm-hmm. I should say. Hey, he had a all, big, all due respect. Big drive in that postseason for them. One of, one, one of the best uh, backup quarterbacks of all time. Seriously. He's up there with Chase Daniel... Uh, you know, yesterday on the show, Jason, I talked about guy Kirk Cousins Hall of Fame at securing the bag, just absolute Hall of Fame level bag secure. Chad Henney, Chase Daniel, uh, who else? Brad Smith, those guys <laughs> right up there with him. Right up there with him. You know who else? All time greatest backup quarterback? Jeff Hostetler. Won a Super Bowl for the Giants as a backup quarterback. Phil Simms went down. Jeff Hostetler led that team to a Super Bowl that year. Just, just remember, talk about the greatest backup quarterbacks of all time. Jeff Hostetler will always have to be in the conversation. Who was Eli Manning's backup when the Giants won the Super Bowl when I was a little kid? When they beat the Patriots the first time. Wow. That's a great question. That's a great question. I'm not sure who it. Uh, I'm not sure who it was. Is it Matt? No, I don't know. I'm not sure. They never saw playing time because 
Eli always played. I mean, that talk about the greatest job forever was being Eli's backup because forever in a day, he, he didn't miss any games. Jared um, Lorenzen. That's right. That's right. Rest in peace. That's right. Yeah. That dude was big. I forgot about uh, Jared Lorenzen. Eight attempts all season. <laughs> That's about right. That's about right. Well, we didn't get to um, the uh, Roger Goodell interview today um, and what he had to say about the Jim Trotter stuff. We will we'll hold that over. We could always get to that. Um, but I do want to finish the show today. <laughs> I want to I want to just put this in for people because I think it is one of the cooler um, one of the cooler things you're going to hear in the media today. Uh, Bill Belichick talking about long snappers in the NFL uh, will take us off the show today. If you did not see this, uh, Bill Belichick was asked a question about long snappers, which, by the way, not to not to pump my own stuff out there, but there is a video. So you see the jersey behind me. I was a, um, I was a play-by-play guy for a UFL team in that short-lived league. Um, I was a play-by-play voice for the Hartford Colonials. I also did a weekly TV show where I would, and during that weekly TV show, they'd let me play a different position and show me how to do certain things. So I did quarterback one week. I did kicking another week. One of the weeks we did long snapping. Wow, that's really hard to do. It's on YouTube somewhere. I'll I'll post a link to it, me as a, as a long snapper. Um, so Bill Belichick was asked a question about being a long snapper uh, and the importance of long snapping and why there's a you know why do teams waste a roster spot on it that whole thing his answer has gone viral because it was 10 minutes long uh we will finish the show with that uh our good friend sam yarnell we will see are you here tomorrow or are you off tomorrow what are we doing tomorrow you gonna be here tomorrow what what was that sorry i lost you Yep, I'm here okay, tomorrow. Right. So Sam Yarnell will be here tomorrow. Uh, Bill Belichick on long snapping and in the most Bill yep. Belichickian of ways uh, answering the question. That'll finish the show today. I'm Jason Page. We'll catch you back here on Thursday. The cash in on all your social media platforms and now on all of your uh, podcasting platforms if you want to check out the show there as well. Have a great day. Hey, good morning, Bill. Hi, Bill. I have a question that's a little out of left field. It's about roster building and, and not having to do with the game this week, but it's something I've been thinking about for a while, and it's about long snapping, actually. And uh, I was just kind of wondering, uh, and this is no, uh, with all due respect to uh, Joe Cardona and all the fine long snappers out there, but is long snapping that difficult that you need to use a roster on one player who does only that? Can't you just cross-train a few guys to do long snapping and then use – have more flexibility with that roster spot. Yeah, well, you know, uh, Ben, it's, it's an interesting conversation and one that's really, um, uh, I would say, honestly, during the course of my coaching career has has kind of traveled that, that long and winding road um, from when I came into the league. Uh, the specialist, first of all, there were no long snappers, but the specialists, the kickers and the punters, um, were frequently position players. Uh, and that's where they came from in college as well. So a lot of the good college punters and place kickers also played a position. And then 
uh, as time evolved, you know, starting with like Gogolak and guys like that, uh, you know, they specialized in kicking. And then you had, you know, some of the punters that specialized in punters. So uh, players like Danny White and Tom Tupa and uh, guys like that who were, you know, very good position players, um, you know, became Gino Capaletti. Uh, you know, that that evolved into specialists because of, I would say the importance of the kicking game uh, and the number of, you know, the number of plays that the kicking game and opportunities that it provided. Uh, same thing with returners. There were very few just pure returners. Uh, I think one of the, the long snapping, to me, changed in the mid-'80s. Um, and, and really, the, the key guy in that was Diossi, in my opinion, because uh, Steve was the first the first center that really truly allowed a spread punt formation against the all-out rush. Um, prior to that, uh, teams would generally pull, first of all, there wasn't that many gunners, but when teams started using gunners, they would pull one in and kick away from the free guy on the backside. Um, and that was kind of the idea of the protection, was not to let the snapper block uh, against a, a nine-man rush with a split player. So the the return team would have one guy on the, the gunner that split, one guy returns. So you got nine guys rushing against um, essentially, you know, the punter who wasn't a blocker, the split guy who wasn't a blocker, and the snapper who really wasn't a blocker. So it was nine on eight. And the idea was to block the most dangerous um, eight and let the ninth guy go and punt away from him. And then uh, when uh, the Cowboys went to the spread punt, and then the Cardinals followed that pretty quickly. And they kept two gunners split, and the snapper blocked a guy. Uh, then that created an eight-on-eight eight situation, but put a lot of pressure on the snapper to you know, deliver the ball 15 yards deep on the money uh, and still block a good rusher, you know, offsetting the A-gap. I mean, we've all seen offensive linemen have trouble making that block on a pass play. And so now you're talking about a deep snap and a, and a block. But as players got better at that and and that skill became more uh, I would say players became more efficient at that then you know teams decided to carry a long snapper rather than worry about getting a punt block plus there was also the level of consistency and durability with those players so if you lose a position player who's also a long snapper you know you're looking at some some real problems um, and that evolved into the punters, for the most part, becoming holders because of the amount of time that they could spend with the kickers versus having a, a wide receiver or quarterback be the holder, which, again, you don't see very much of that anymore. Um, assuming the punter is, you know, uh, capable and good enough, you know, has good enough hands to be the holder. Uh, and so then that kind of whole unit has really evolved into you know, a specified snapper, a specified kicker, a spe specific punter, and generally the punter as the holder. So the three of those guys could work together all practice because they're all available. And I know, again, going back to when I first came into the league, you worked on, you know, field goals. And I mean, it was maybe, you know, five minutes because that was the only time the starting center and the starting receiver or backup quarterback or whatever were available to practice that. So. Like, is it that hard? Um, 
it's a pretty hard job. Yeah, it's a pretty hard job. It's not as hard as it used to be because you're not allowed to hit the center, especially on field goals and, and you know, run them over. And um, there are some limitations on the punt rush based on, you know, what the formation is and so forth. But generally speaking, uh, but still, it's it's a hard block to and, – and I think you see most punt rushes attack the snapper. So uh, they loop guys back so the center thinks he's going right, but then he has to come back to the left or – uh, or maybe they fake like they're coming back, but they don't come back. So he, he not only has to snap, and uh, so then that gets into whether you're a blind snapper and you look at the rush and just snap the ball, or whether you're a look-back snapper and snap it, and then after the snap you have to look up and recognize what's happened and, and make the proper, pop, proper block. But again, it's, it's man-to-man blocking. Like, that guy's got to block somebody, um, or you're a guy short. So... It is, it is a hard job, uh, and the accuracy of the, I would say, the place kickers through the years, which has gone up dramatically, part of that's the surface, part of that's the, you know, not kicking outdoors and so forth. Part of it is the operation between, you know, the snapper, the holder, and the kicker, which I would say, generally speaking, is at a pretty high level, which it should be uh, in the National Football League. So I think if you go back and look at, you know, kicks from – Back when that wasn't the case, you know, you see balls rolling back and the holder coming out of a stance to catch the ball and the kind of things you see, you know, at times in a high school game and that kind of thing. There's just a much higher level of skill, uh, which there should be. Uh, but, yeah, I think it's a pretty a pretty tough position. And, you know, nobody knows or cares who the snapper is until it's a bad snap. And all of a sudden, you know, it's a front-page story. So, you know, there's a decent amount of pressure on that player as well, not just to snap, but also – as I said, to, you know, to block in punt protection. So as the roster sizes have increased, it's been a lot easier to carry that player, just like it's a lot easier to carry a true returner. And so in terms of depth and availability, um, you know, you, you really don't want to be looking for one of those players in the middle of, the, of any time, the middle of a game or middle of a season. Um, but when you have them as, you know, a starting receiver or a starting you know, Luke Rosa starting tackle or, you know, whoever, those guys, and they're playing and something happens, not only you lose a player, but, you know, you lose a, a key specialist as well. So, um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's a great question. It's And, you know, there would be so much value in a player that could do a couple of things and save a roster spot. Um, but I would say there are so few of those players available, even to the point where, uh, and, you know, Amendola did a great job last week, but it's so rare that you even see a combination punter and place kicker. Usually it's it's one or the other, and I think part of that is, you know, at one level it's, it's you know, I'll say relatively easy to put your foot on the ball. Uh, but at this level, um, you know, the difference in kicking mechanics and punting mechanics are, are so different um, that it's really hard to be good at both. Uh, but, you know, if a guy's got a good leg and he's a good athlete and, you know, he can make good contact with the ball, there's a point where, you know, high school, college, you know, maybe it's good enough. Maybe he's the best guy on the team to do that. But I'd say at this level, that's pretty, you know, that's that will be asking a lot. Now, you know, like Jake can punt, Jake can kick off, um, you know, Jake can kick field goals, you know, to be at the kind of level you want it to be at, to have the person split their time between the two of those, again, I think is, 
you know, a lot to ask. It's not, you know, I'm not saying it's impossible or unheard of, but it, it's a lot to ask. And that's why you don't see it very much. <laughs> that's a good question. It's really interesting. And like, if you look at the evolution of those positions over the last, you know, since I've been in the league, um, but even a little bit before then, because that's really where it started to go was in the late 60s. Like I, th- I think Gogolak, you know, was the first or one of the first where oh that trend really goodness. started to, okay, we're just going to keep a guy and all he does is kick, you know, and you premium and guys like that. Um, that that's all they did. That was a, it was a little bit unusual, um, but you know, gradually that's become the new norm. Wow, that's about all you need, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> the great Bill Belichick. That's how we wrap it up on this Wednesday edition of the Cash, and we'll see you back here on Thursday.